Hey friends, you're listening to the Student Ministry Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, lead you closer to Jesus, and help you follow Him more faithfully. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. So, uh, the series that we've been kind of going through is called Before I Go, and uh, kind of what the series was about was uh, what did Jesus kind of do with His last words on earth, and uh, what we've been covering is showing the fact that he used his final words as he knew that he was going to die for us to give love and to give hope and to give peace. So kind of what we've been dissecting is how can we kind of use that in our lives, right? How can we use, if we knew we were dying soon, how would we use our words and our love and our ways to kind of glorify what Jesus has done, you know? And so uh, I think daily we often think about random things that aren't really, like, important. So to me, music is kind of my life. If you know me, I play, like, three different instruments, and I'm always just kind of gravitating towards that. And I just know a bunch of, like, random facts. So, like, any classic rock song or whatever that comes over the radio, I could probably name it off. And I listen to almost, like, all music except for Taylor Swift because she's awful. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I heard, yeah, 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 yeah. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. So growing up, kind of, I knew a whole bunch of history of music, and uh, I actually knew a bunch of history about skateboarding because I kind of grew up skateboarding, so I knew kind of like a whole bunch of random nerdy stuff. I was like, oh, well, actually, Tony Hawk. Um. And, uh, but what this kind of showed was I often loved facts and knowledge about stuff that I, like, really loved, but um, I have a few questions for you guys. Like, what comes, what comes to your mind when I say, like, these words? So, like, football. What comes to your guys' mind? Raiders? Raiders? No. No. And, Super Bowl. What about football players? Hurdy, Tom Brady. Did somebody just say Harry Potter? What about pop singer? Sadly, Taylor Swift. Yeah, who else? Maybe some might say Harry Styles or whatever. What about social media? What do you guys think? What's Instagram? Snapchat? TikTok? That's, yeah, yeah, right, right? Or, like, what if I, like, start singing, like a good neighbor? Yeah, so we, we all know, like, just this random information that kind of is just stored in our brain, random song tunes, random facts, random ideas. Uh, but my question to you guys is what comes to your mind when you think of God? What do you guys think? Holy? Love? What? Cross? The goat? I mean, yeah. Anyone else? Peace? Righteous? Creator? Mercy? Yeah, I mean, like, if you know God, it's kind of easy, but often thinking of God can kind of be, like, really vast. You know, you have all these things, or maybe in your mind you have this picture of this giant, ominous, booming voice in the sky. You see clouds. Maybe some see Morgan Freeman or something, you know. You see this dude with a big old beard. Um, But, like, what that kind of shows is something that can be kind of difficult for us as believers sometimes, or even non-believers, is we can't physically see God, right? No No one's physically seeing God, and if you think you have, you're probably nuts. But as we become, like, more mature and less childlike, we, we tend to kind of need physical evidence to believe and trust something, you know. And uh, I, I feel like one good example is Santa Claus. You know, growing up, it was, like, it seemed so critical to, like, 
believe in him and like you see like your parents took bites out of the cookies or whatever or oh oh no I mean yeah Santa's real <laughs> but like okay but like you know some of us as kids kind of depended on kind of seeing random things like that to kind of believe in him. And often, like I said, it could be really hard to put our full faith and trust in something we can't see. And some people, you know, some unbelievers, they'll often say they kind of depend on seeing miracles or like, let me see God himself and then I'll believe in him. And like one way we could really kind of discern the realness of God is what was proven through the life and the death and the resurrection of God's son, Jesus Christ, right? So in John 3.16, you see, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, Jesus, who himself God, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He Jesus has revealed God to us. So what we see is people often say, well, why doesn't God just show himself to us? Well, he kind of already has, you know. That's kind of the whole point of sending his son, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what we say is, okay, yeah, like, what does that mean to like trust in Jesus? What does that mean to believe in him? Because you know, some of us might struggle. You you see the Bible is kind of this like random text that has these random stories, you know. But I think over time, what you could also see is the fact that the Bible isn't just some random stories, but it's almost more like of it's more like a historical text, you know. It's written documents. So what we see clearly in scripture is God has sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and reveal God to us. And one way that validates this is the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, and he used this life to teach the world what it means to live for and like God. And our solid evidence of God's love and promises have been provided from God himself, you know, through Jesus, through his son. And his ultimate stamp of affirmation was not only did he die on the cross, but he was resurrected. He defeated death, you know. He conquered death, and he himself even predicted and told his disciples of this. So if you see in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. So what this does is it basically kind of shows Jesus' like his truth. You know, He basically says, I'm the Son of God, And the way I'm going to prove this is not only am I going to die, but I'm going to defeat this. I'm going to rise three days later. And that's kind of what we're going to be celebrating pretty soon for Easter, you know. So if if Jesus didn't die and resurrect, if he just died, then how could we trust in him, you know. He would have said, I'm God and I'm going to resurrect. If he didn't do it, then that would have meant he's not God. But what he did was he he rose and three days later he showed himself to almost 500 people. And this really just kind of proves his power and his claim. 
So for those of you that don't really understand crucifixion, you know, we kind of have this idea of Jesus on a cross. We've seen it on necklaces and stuff like that. But what you, what you don't realize is this was kind of, it's a really gnarly death. So crucifixion was kind of invented around 400 AD, and it was a torture method that was used for criminals and bad people that kind of deserve this, right? And so the way it happened was you were kind of, you were nailed to this cross by your hands and by your feet, and you were kind of hanging, but then you were nailed by your feet, so you were kind of not fully hanging, so you were just kind of in this weird suspension. And so what happens is you're basically dying from a slow form of suffocation. So CO2 is building up in your blood, and it's resulting in a high level of what's called carbonic acid in the blood. And what your body is doing is it's reacting to this, and what you ultimately die of is a heart attack and asphyxiation, right? So what we can see is Jesus endured this crazy pain. You know, he's sitting there. He was beat. He was suffering. He was struggling. And what he did was what separated him from all others is, like I said, everyone else who was crucified died. But what Jesus did was he resurrected. He conquered this. He is alive, and no one else survived this cause of death, but only God, right? So... This makes Jesus set apart due to the fact that throughout this world, there are many religious figures, you know, false prophets, teachers, you know, you hear of like Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff like that. But what you learn about these teachers or these false prophets is their graves are full, you know. Muhammad was a real historical figure, but he's dead. His grave is full. It's not empty. Buddha is also dead, but his grave is full. And what Buddhism kind of taught was... The universe itself is an illusion, therefore any conclusion in life will be an illusion as well. But like I said, he died and he, his, his grave is full. But what Jesus says in John 14, chapter 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He didn't propose any other answer to life other than him, right? What Jesus is saying is, it's not you do you. It's not your own truth. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus proved God's ways by living a perfect life. If you read the scriptures, you read the Bible, you can see everything he said, he lived it. He, he, he backed it up. He didn't, he didn't say love one another and then go off and hate other people. What he did was he loved everybody, you know, so kind of what, is, what does this mean? Now, you know, what does his death on the cross represent? And what, there's many things behind the death on the cross. So one thing it is is he died so that way we didn't, we, we, he fulfilled God's promise to the chosen people, the Israelites, right? So what this means is, I'm sorry, Within the story of the Bible, we read through God's chosen people. You know, you have the Israelites and for generations and kind of these, you have these sinful people that are living by strictly 613 laws in order to try their best through works to receive salvation. You know, you had the Pharisees that were also kind of above that and they were kind of looking over these laws. But what Jesus does is he takes our sins upon himself and nails it to the cross. And what it kind of represents is the fact that we no longer have to live by these rules. We don't have to kind of carry this burden. 
because he became this perfect person who does not deserve anything, took sin upon himself and became sin and died. So we don't have to deal with that. So the, res- the resurrection doesn't only prove that Jesus is God, but that through Jesus Christ, we can bury our own sinful ways and be brought back to life from the death and decay of ourselves and of this world. You know, Not only did conquering death kind of fulfill the prophecy, but what it showed as almost a metaphor was the fact that as we trust in him, what we can do is we can kind of take our own old ways, our bad habits, our sins, and we can put those to death We put it into Jesus who died on the cross, and we can be brought back to life, you know. Uh, On Easter, you'll see a whole bunch of people get baptized. A few weeks ago, we had baptism night, and what that's really showing is that what you're doing is you're burying yourself under the water like Jesus was buried, and you are rising back as a new person, a new creation. You're basically washing yourself with the blood of Jesus Christ. So in John 19, verse 28, it says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what you see is Jesus is using his last words to kind of let us know that it is finished. It is done. The work has been done through the sacrifice of God's only son. We no longer have to depend on these 613 laws and work hard, do our best, and try to strive through our own doings to receive salvation. We no longer bear the burden and penalty of our sins because that's exactly what Jesus died for, you know? Jesus was not sent by God to judge, but to save. He didn't come here to judge all of us, but to kind of, it was kind of God's life raft to us as sinful people who couldn't be perfect, you know. You know, we're, we're called as broken people to follow him and be transformed. And what kind of Josh spoke about the other week is this, the church, you people, all of us, all of us, this is not a place for perfection, you know. This is a place where we can all come together and recognize how imperfect we are. We all struggle with something. We're all kind of broken people. So what Jesus did was Jesus did not die for you to be flawless, but he died for you to be refined and redeemed, you know. He, he didn't die on the cross for us to live a perfect life. That was the complete opposite of what he did. He knew we were imperfect, so he, he took that upon himself to cover us in his blood. So uh, if you could throw up the definition of refined. What refined means is with impurities or unwanted elements having been removed by processing, you know. What this means is as we walk in relationship with Christ, we all have impurities and we're being refined, we're being stripped, we're being Unwanted elements are being removed by a process, by a relationship in Christ, right? And who did Jesus call to follow him, if you, if you read the scriptures? Tax collectors, who else? All, all, these, all of these messed up people, right? Who did he sit and eat with? He ate and sat with sinners. 
And he knew that if he reached the lost, the sinful and the broken, these people would not, these people would follow him and be redeemed. They'd be refined, right? And you can see this in Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So these people that are supposed to be spiritual leaders, they're supposed to basically uphold the law of the Israelites, they're upset that Jesus is with these messed up, broken people. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So Jesus rejoices more about our redemption and running back to him after we sin than those who are seen as perfect, right? There is joy because when we struggle with sin and our imperfections, what we're doing is we're seeking him. You know, we're not leaning on our own understanding. There's joy because we are trusting in him and we're in relationship with him to fix our problems. We're not trying to fix it ourselves. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So what this is kind of showing is, you know, often we we wouldn't be willing to die just for some random dude that's, yeah, he's a cool guy, but what we see is the love that God had for us is he showed, he sent his son to die for us sinners. He didn't die for perfect people, you know. It's often, it's easy to die for someone that you're close with because you trust them, and in your eyes, they're kind of, they're perfect, they're your person, but what God said was, you're broken, you're awful, we're all bad people, but that's okay. I love you so much. I'm going to send my only son, right? So Romans chapter 8, verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what we see is we are never too far from God or unworthy of his love, right? Nothing's going to separate us from that love. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've gone through, that's not going to separate you from God's love because if it did, that that might not be love, right, you know? So how do we apply his life, death, and fulfillment of God's promise to our everyday lives, right? 
how do we take this upon ourselves every single day? And to that I say, just living in his way, you know? Jesus did not die on the cross so we can live in religion, but Jesus died on the cross so we can live in relationship for him. You know, he didn't die on the cross for us to attend church once a week or twice a week. Or, yeah, I picked up my Bible, like, for five minutes today, or I've read it a few times this month, you know. It's not, he didn't die for us to check a box, you know. He died for us to live in relationship with him, to walk with him, to be with him, to kind of soak, to worship, right? We are not saved through church attendance or how many times we read our Bibles, but we are saved through our full faith and our trust in him no matter what we endure, you know. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? So what this shows is relationship in Christ means every single day we're going through a struggle, but what we're doing is we're not relying on us, but we're giving that to God. You know, we're, we're hanging our own struggles to a cross, right? If we continue to try and live on our own way, it will only lead to death and decay and ruin and struggles and anxiety and fear and anger and much more, you know? And what this also means is, you know, God's not, God's not our genie, right? We don't pray for him, for him to just solve all our issues. We pray for him to walk with us, to lead us, to guide us, to save us. What he will do is he'll guide us through our suffering, you know? Uh, I heard Pastor Jim preach on this one time, you know, if we're, if we're walking on this path and there's a mountain in our way, we're not gonna pray to God and he's just gonna remove that mountain, Right? He's not going to get rid of all your struggles. What he's going to do is he's going to take you and he's going to lift you up. He's going to walk with you. He's going to keep your hand. Maybe when you're thirsty, he'll give you water, you know. But through this, what this does is it kind of, it helps us grow in him and trust in him and to lean on him throughout everything we endure. He will bless us so long as it is within his will and his desires and not ours. So maybe applying what Jesus has done for us daily is, you know, loving people how he loved people, you know. He showed grace and compassion to even those who others saw as undeserving, tax collectors who were really looked down upon in that day, you know, prostitutes, just sinners, just evil or just sinful people, you know. So what does that mean? That means even when you don't see that someone is deserving of love and compassion, that means still kind of showing them grace, still being that light no matter what. So what, what we see is Jesus used his life and his last words to show us God's love by fulfilling his promise and just setting an example of how to live and how to trust in him. So if you take anything away from kind of what we've discussed, I want you to know that it's not your job to carry your burdens on your shoulders. That's what he died for, right? 
it's not your job to struggle with everything and just work through it on your own. We're called to hang it on a cross daily. So give it all to him. That is why he died, right? So we can be closer to God through him no matter how imperfect we are. And it's trust and faith that is what saves. I'm out of time, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we just, we just thank you for what you've done. We thank you, God, for sending your son to bear that sin upon himself for us so we don't have to bear it ourselves. We just want to thank you for everything and allowing us to walk with you and trust in you. And you will lift us through whatever we're going through, Lord Jesus. I just pray that anything that was of me, everyone will forget. And anything that was of you, everyone will remember. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.